Hello and welcome to episode two of the She Wolf Den podcast. Today I'm joined by Olympic 400 meter hurdler and Olympic 4x4 relay athlete Sage Watson as we discuss everything from how to get university athletic scholarships and what she's doing now that the Tokyo 2020 Olympics have been postponed to what motivates her and what kind of message she wants to send young women about loving their bodies. Check it out if you want to be as inspired as I was talking to this amazing young woman from right here in Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada. All right. Welcome, Sage. You are, as you know, my first official guest on this podcast, which is all about promoting women in sport and fitness. And I I cannot tell you how excited I am to be able to highlight one of our medicine hat local legends and share your story with the women in my audience who need uh, more active and empowered female role models in their lives. So thank you so much for being on here. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Thanks so much. I'm really excited to be a part of this, especially, you know, you're local from medicine hat and I'm from medicine hat. So it's just great to be a part of this. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. I know when I like reached out on um, Instagram, I was kind of like, okay, well, I know she's a busy girl. She's training. She's got her season coming up. So I was like, I don't know if she's going to have time. And so it was really, it was really sweet of you to, to make time for this because I know there are a lot of people who, um, who do really look up to you. And I work with, you know, a lot of young female athletes. And, and so it's just really cool that there's somebody in our community that has reached high levels and, and that they have somebody that they can look to and, being able to have a conversation about um, about the stuff that you've achieved and kind of, you know, your headspace and and things like that'll be it'll be really cool for them to be able to listen to and maybe hopefully take some away from that. So that's I'm just super excited. No, I'm excited to talk with you too. Awesome. Okay, so first of all, for those who might not be super familiar with you, um, just because uh, I I do a lot of like strength training based stuff and. You're on a little bit of a different um, area with doing what me as a powerlifter refers to as the horrible cardio stuff. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, for those who might not be familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, what got you started in your sport? And what I'm really curious about is um, why you chose the 400 meter distance and hurdles as kind of your sport. Um, of choice because I remember being, you know, doing track when I was a kid and um, I did track and cross country in high school. I was not very good. I'm not built for it in any capacity, (laughs) Um, but I was really more of like a long distance person. I was not a sprinter at all. So I'm kind of curious about, yeah, tell us about yourself, what got you started and why you chose that particular event to kind of specialize in. Yeah, so I started my love for running uh, when I was very young. My mom used to say, you know, I would never walk anywhere as a kid. I would just run. Um, And she was in the Medicine Hat Police Force. um, And she would run to stay fit. And she would do, you know, the Southern Alberta torch relays. And that was one of my earliest memories as a runner was doing the torch relay with her. My dad actually drove me to the highway where she was running her leg of the relay. And I got to run alongside her. Um, so I just always looked up to her and how she was running and staying motivated. And then they started entering me in track meets and I really enjoyed racing. And then I started to love the 400. I found that I was naturally uh, better at that than I was the short sprints and the longer stuff. I 
didn't enjoy the longer stuff, although I did do cross country. Um, I didn't love it. I loved the 400. And then with the love from the 400, I eventually was like, hey, I should try the hurdles because they're an extra challenge. I had a coach say, you might be good at the hurdles. So then I started to do the hurdles and I just fell in love with them. Um, I liked that they're an extra challenge. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was trickier than the 400. I had 10 obstacles in the way. So I eventually just fell in love with the race. Um, and the, that love eventually got me a scholarship uh, to university down in the United States. And then after that, um, you know, I went to the Olympics in 2016 um, with Team Canada for the four, 400 hurdles and the 4x4. Four four. Um, I went to World Championships in 2015, 2017, and then this past year in 2019. Um, and then in 2017, I signed a professional contract with Nike. So now I represent Nike. Um, around the world at global competitions. And then when we have international things, I represent Team Canada. Wow, that's super cool. I, I love that that your kind of decision for doing the hurdles was like, hey, I want an extra challenge because like 400 is apparently yeah. not enough of a challenge. <laughs> I always found that like the short sprints, like I'm not, like I said, I'm not a sprinter, but I was like, okay, I could like power through it to get it done um, if mm -hmm. I had to. And then for the long mm -hmm. distance stuff, I was like, okay, I can pace myself. But 400 seemed like the worst combination where you still had to go fast, but it wasn't short enough. So I find that, I find that awesome because I always found that that was a distance that was, that's a hard distance to run for, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people either mm -hmm. really gravitate towards short sprints or they really gra gravitate towards more long distance. And that 400 distance is a really strange combination of being a, yeah. a kind of a long sprint, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. And then to add hurdles on top of that, it's like, okay, <laughs> you're just, you're just asking for extra punishment at that point. And I love it. I love that. You're like, Hey, it's an extra challenge. That's really cool. Um, Okay, so you went to university for um, this stuff. Did Were you introduced to hurdles in high school or in university? I was introduced to hurdles in high school. Okay. I started competing in the hurdles, uh, I think when I was 15, 16. Mm -hmm. um, when I was 16, I actually made um, Team Canada for World Youth Championships, and that was my first Team Canada. And we went to France and competed in France, and I competed in the 400 hurdles then. Uh, and that's kind of what started this love for the 400 hurdles. I realized, you know, I was able to compete on Team Canada. Um, so that eventually got me into it. And then I sticked with them in high school. And the 400 hurdles is what I got a scholarship for. I went to Florida State University and I competed there in the 400 hurdles for three years. Mm -hmm. And then I actually ended up transferring to the University of Arizona where I competed uh, for two more years. And then after that, I decided I loved Arizona so much, so I decided to stay, and now I live down there, and um, I'm a volunteer coach for the University of Arizona, and I just train, and um, that's where I'm based out of now. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, I can see why you'd love Arizona or any place mm -hmm. warmer than here, because... <laughs> you know, our winters are not fun. And so I would definitely be choosing a place that's a little bit warmer. Um, I'm curious about your uh, process to kind of get your university scholarship, because I know that for a lot of young women who might be looking for opportunities, I know in Canada, it's it's hard because we don't have the same um, sports scholarship opportunities for our mm -hmm. universities and stuff that they do in the States. So what did that process look like for you? How did you kind of 
um, how did you kind of get involved in that scouting process and applications for scholarships for those who might be interested and, and just kind of don't really know what that process looks like? Yeah, it's a very um, different process, you know, especially going to the U.S. for school than it is for Canada. Um, in Canada, I wish that we did full ride athletic scholarships. Um, you know, I hope that's coming in the future. I really do. But, you know, I couldn't get any full ride scholarships here in Canada. So I was going to have to pay for my own schooling. Um, the universities don't offer an outdoor track season. Um, they have an indoor season. Uh, so I wanted to go to a university that had an indoor and outdoor track and field season. Uh, and the scholarships kind of, they didn't really start at first. Um, I started to get offers, you know, when I was 16 and I made my first uh, world youth team. Okay. Um, but I think for a lot of people, you don't necessarily have to be the best in the world to get a scholarship. There's so many different opportunities. And one thing that you can do um, as a young athlete you know, if you're in grade 11, is that's when I would start sending out information to schools. You can actually send your, you know, your times or, you know, whatever sport you compete in. You can send videos, you know, what you've done, your grades. Um, you have to take the SATs. That's something different for the uh, universities in the U.S. But yeah. I think just sending out that information to universities that you might want to go to because they may not have a full ride scholarship opportunity for you, but they may have a partial or you could become a walk-on and then eventually earn a scholarship. Okay. So there's a ton of different opportunities. It's just kind of putting yourself out there. And if you're not, you know, number one in the world and getting highly recruited, there's so many opportunities still. You just have to, you know, sometimes send your information out to these universities, get in contact with the coaches, say, hey, you know, what do I have to do to be on the team? What are you guys looking for? Uh, so, because I've had a lot of friends um, who were walk-ons who eventually earned scholarships. Uh, so that means they went there, they had to pay for their own schooling for the first year, but then the second year, you know, the university paid for them to be there to compete athletically. Nice. And you could, you know, make that decision when, once you're there, like take the chance on it. And mm -hmm. if you, I think if they have a chance to see, um, if you, you know, perform at a high level and th then they'll take a chance on you, right? You gotta, yes. you gotta, I like that you said you've got to be willing to put yourself out there because I think a lot of people expect that they're just going to be handed these opportunities yes. and there's something, um, I don't know, there's something about this sense of, of pride of having to, like, you have to ask for these things, not people aren't yeah. going to just walk up and be like, Hey, we want you, you have to be like, you have to be the one to ask the questions and, right. and not be afraid of the no or not be afraid of the maybe and um, and be willing to make yourself a little bit vulnerable to ask the question and and put yourself out there. So I really I really like that because I think a lot of people are kind of scared to do that and they're worried that they'll mm -hmm. you know get rejected or be embarrassed by that. And it's mm -hmm. like no, everybody has to go through that process and and you know take chances. And so that's that's really cool. I didn't I didn't know that much about that process. I um when I was in high school, I wanted to go to a U.S. university um, mm -hmm. for design uh, because okay. I wanted to work for Disney. And, and so cool. I, yeah, it was kind of a, might still be a pipe dream, but, um, but one of the things that prevented me from being able to go down there was the cost of it because for mm -hmm. an international student, 
it is crazy, crazy expensive. And I remember just being yeah. so mad at my parents for not forcing me mm -hmm. to do a sport I could do a, get a scholarship for. But um, mm -hmm. I did karate my whole life and apparently you can't awesome. get scholarships for karate. So. <laughs> yeah, I think, and another thing I think that um, people just need to look into, sometimes they don't realize that there's like specific scholarships to some universities for Canadians. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, I mean, it's like, you just got to put yourself out there. You got to do your research and, you know, keep looking. And um, I always kind of compared it to, you know, you don't expect your dream job to just like show up at your front door. You don't expect somebody <laughs> to just hand you an application. Oh, here's your dream job. No, you know, you have to go out and look for it. You have to go out and find out what works for you, what you can do, maybe how you can build your way up to it. So I think that's definitely a thing with university. And it's one thing if you, you really do want to go to a school and you're going to commit to it. Um, make sure that you, you know, you're going full into it. Don't be half in half out because I think I've seen a lot of athletes, you know, they're half in, they want, they hope they can do it, but they don't go all the way. And then, you know, you're kind of just losing money at the same time versus if you could stay here in Canada, you know, you could do school for a year, make sure that's fully what you want to do and then make the decision to go to the U.S. or wherever you want to go to school in the world, really. Yeah. So then I take it that you kind of, you kind of been, you're the type of person that always kind of had in mind what you wanted to do from a fairly young age, hey? I always wanted to make the Olympics. That was my dream. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I didn't know, you know, if that was going to be staying in Canada and training. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if it was going to mean having to go to the U.S. Um, it just happened to work out that, you know, I was given these opportunities, but, you know, I had to go through a lot of obstacles or hurdles, if you say, to yeah. make that Olympic team. And, you know, one of them was I went to Florida State University originally. Um, and the year before the Olympics, uh, my coach ended up getting fired um, and they weren't going to hire a new 400 hurdle coach. So I had to make the decision to transfer to a new university for a 400 hurdle coach in hopes, you know, I hope somebody out there can coach me to get me to the Olympics. And luckily, you know, I found my coach, Fred Harvey at the University of Arizona, but it was a scary time because it was right before the Olympics. And I was like, oh man, I don't have a coach. <laughs> I need to find a coach. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting that you experienced kind of a major obstacle before your first Olympic experience. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to, this is actually like a perfect segue into my next question, because <laughs> once again, we are facing right. a pretty major obstacle. Um, yes. So uh, going into that Olympic kind of route, and, and let's talk about that. Um, I know that uh, women's sport has, you know, they've, we've made some pretty big strides over the, over the past 30 years. And um, I was doing some research on hurdles specifically because it's not a sport that I'm super familiar with. So I had a lot of fun learning about it. And um, so what I read was that it became an Olympic sport for women in 1984. So this would be mm -hmm. the 10th, uh, 10th time that women's 400 meter hurdles has been in the Olympics. So that's kind of yes. like... 10th it's anniversary kind of thing. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, can you tell me a little bit about what your sporting season kind of looks like and what the process is to qualify for the Olympic team? Like what, what levels do you have to meet? What championships do you have to win? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Uh, so for this Olympics, um, in a year in advance, you have to get the standard. So in track and field, that means you have to run a certain time, 
you have to jump a certain height, you have to throw a certain distance, whatever, you know, that may be for your event. Um, so last summer I ran the standard in the 400 hurdles. Uh, and then the next process is to get top three at the Canadian championships. Um, so the Canadian championships were supposed to be in June this year, but now they've been postponed. So they are, we don't know when they're going to be now. Sorry. Can you hear my washing machine? No, you're good. You're good. Okay. <laughs> it's on loud. I can hear it right now. Sorry. I have mine Sorry. literally right next to where I record my podcast as well. <laughs> I so know, I was like, I'm right beside, I'm like the next room beside it. I was like, maybe that wasn't a good idea. So anyways, um, this June was supposed to be the Canadian Olympic trials okay. um, and they've postponed those because obviously the Olympics. So what they're saying right now is if you have the standard, you still get to keep the standard. Um, and then there's going to be the Olympic trials next year in June. It looks like for okay. the, they're calling them. It's, it's very confusing. The, the Olympics will now be in 2021, mm -hmm. but they're still keeping the name Tokyo 2020. Okay. Well, so I'm sure a lot of yes. marketing has went into that and all of yes. the like products and merchandise and things like that. So it kind of makes sense that they would, they would keep that. And, mm -hmm. but it, that is, that is strange because they have to move it. That's going to be, it's going to be odd. Yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> they had all the Olympic medals made. Um, mm -hmm. and those, you know, are real silver, gold, and bronze. Uh, so I don't think they wanted to melt all those down to remake them. And, you know, there's so much stuff out there that says Tokyo 2020. It would have just mm -hmm. been tons and tons of, you know, stuff gone to waste that they would have had to change. So I think it's kind of, um, it'll be special. You yeah, know, we'll pretend like it never happened. <laughs> it'll just be there in Tokyo 2020. <laughs> and I think it'll be really cool to, at that point, you know, kind of look back and and kind of see what we did as really a world dealing with something that is a little bit unheard of. And, and so I think that there, there'll be something really unique about keeping the 2020 and like the memory of, yes. Hey, we came together despite a lot of um, adversity and, mm -hmm. and things like that. And, and so I think that'll be, I think that'll be really interesting. And, and yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's, there's a lot of time and effort and money and stuff that goes into this way ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So to be able to change all of that would be like, it would be unreal for them. So I, I think that's yeah. really cool that they, they've decided to postpone it till next year, give loads of time for athletes who, you know, who are, or who are really needing to change up a lot of things um, in their training and in their competition seasons and things like that now. So it's good that they made that decision. Um, to postpone it to next year. And then, um, and then that gives everybody the time to be able to kind of go back and, and re-strategize, which, um, actually leads into my next question. So, um, it's obviously a super unique time to be an elite, elite athlete and competitions are being canceled. Um, fitness and mm -hmm. rec facilities are being shut down due to, you know, this, this outbreak and, social distancing measures and all that jazz. Um, yeah. I'm curious how, how you've had to adapt your own training to stay, still stay on track and meet all your performance goals 
when you don't really know when some of these events are being rescheduled for, like, how does that make a difference in your training? I know for me, um, with the sport that I do, um, we, we peak to reach a certain level at a very specific Mm -hmm. time. And so the up in the air of competitions and when those are going to be rude, really throw certain athletes off. Does that apply for you? And how have you adapted to be able to accommodate that? Yeah, track and field is the same way. You know, we peak for a certain time of the year. And this year I was looking to peak at the Olympic Games. Um, what my coach and I have decided, uh, we're going to do the best we can to stay in the same training phase. So right now our training phase, we're getting into more speed and power. Um, so I've been able to do, you know, some plyometric work here on my ranch. Um, I set up my own little kind of weightlifting set in our family shop. Um, so I've been able to get my weightlifting in. Uh, I've been trying to get my running in the best I can. So we're just trying to do the best we can to stay in the same training phase because fall training for us is, you know, more endurance. We run hills, you know, we run a lot more. So we're trying to just keep in this power phase and pretend as if we're still trying to peak for this summer. Because we feel that to get this whole training cycle in will help for next year. When we go back into preparing, we would have gotten this strength. um, Some of the speed stuff will have worked on it this year. So that will help carry on to next year. But yeah, it's a troubling time, you know, for athletes. We don't know when our next competitions are going to be. But I've kept saying this. um, We're like everybody else in the world right now, athletes. You know, you don't know when you're going to get back to work a lot of people they don't know what the future holds for their jobs if they can still have them and I think that's the same with athletics is we just don't know when we're going to get to compete again we don't know when we don't know you know are there going to be any competitions and it's so up in the air right now I'm hoping uh, for track and field that there may be a competition maybe in August or September this year Um, that's my hope but at the same time I'm prepared for all competitions to be canceled Okay. So when would your season typically finish? Uh, My season would typically finish in September. Okay. And then you would probably go back into kind of a general prep phase, more of like your endurance stuff and then repeat again. So if they plan the 2020 Olympics in summer 2021, you can essentially start like a brand new phase and then a new repeat. It's just one year later. Okay. So that would probably be the most ideal then. Yeah, and they've um, they just announced uh, yesterday, the day before, that they're gonna put the they're gonna start the Tokyo twenty twenty one Olympics, uh, July twenty third. Okay, so would that be about the exact uh, like same yeah. time as they were planned for this one? Okay. Yeah, they were set to start this year, July twenty fourth. So okay. pretty much the exact same date, uh, which is great uh, because it's almost like you know you just plan for next year, and yeah. that's gonna be really good for a lot of athletes because it gives everybody time to reschedule, to rework their plans. Um, You know, that gives us enough time to kind of figure out what training is going to look like for this next year. Yeah. Okay. So it'd be like this year is last year or the year before one of your prep years leading up to exactly. That's cool. That's cool. That's a good mindset too, that it's like, you know what, we don't know, but neither does anybody else in, in terms of a lot of areas Mm -hmm. in, you know, work and athletics and, um, And it's really great to have that mindset that, you know what, we're just going to keep trucking on and doing what we're doing Mm -hmm. and stay on the plan. Um, 
I think that's where a lot of athletes are are really struggling, um, whether it's an elite athlete or or not. Um, even you know, people just wanting to stay healthy and active, having yes. these routines and stuff thrown out the window is really, really mm-hmm. hard. And I think one of the major things that I know, like people in my audience who are, you know, recreational athletes or people just trying to stay fit, one of the big struggles that a lot of people are facing right now is motivation. And yes. I know that you've dealt with a lot of stuff with um, adversity, having, you know, foot injury issues and things like that. So what are the things that you do to stay motivated and focused on your goals in times of adversity? And how have those times helped you to become a better athlete overall? Yes, I think one of the biggest things when we go through times of adversity, we don't go and reevaluate our goals and we don't go switch them up. And I think, you know, at a time like this, it's great to, if maybe you wrote your goals down somewhere, I like to do a vision board. So I post all my goals on a vision board. Like I highly recommend if you have goals, it's great to have them in your head, but like put them down somewhere, you know, either put them down in a journal just for yourself to see, put them up on a wall for you to see every day. Um, so if you have those goals, it's right now is the time to go back into your journal or onto your goal board or whatever it is and to kind of reevaluate them, um, see what's changing, maybe set some new goals. Uh, right now I think is so important to stay motivated in time like this is just to set little mini goals. All right, this week I'm going to do this, this, and this, you know, just small little things that you can look forward to for this week, you know? And then next week, I'm going to do this because right now we're at this time. They keep saying, oh, it's going to be two more weeks, two more weeks, two more weeks. (laughs) And it's so hard to plan ahead. You know, when will the next time I'll be able to get to a gym or if you're a swimmer, when will I get to a pool or a track athlete? When will I get to the track? So I think it's just like a week by week thing right now. Um, And that's same with an injury. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to heal up from your injury faster or, you know, if it's going to take longer. So it's just re-evaluating your goals, um, being realistic with yourself, but still, you know, dreaming big. I don't, that's my kind of balance, being realistic with what's going on, but don't, don't shorten your limitations because, you know, keep working and chipping away at it because you just never know what can happen. Yeah, absolutely. And um, especially when it comes to, like you said, we don't know from week to week how, um, like our, our world and, and stuff is progressing at this point. So it's really hard to plan kind of long term and it would be, Mm -hmm. it would be almost wasteful to do so because so much is changing so quickly. So at least having Mm -hmm. small goals, you're not making plans for something that you might not have control over. And if you have control over just this next week and, and you're able to, you know, pick a couple of things, like I'm going to focus on this one thing and I'm going to be successful at it. It just creates that sense of accomplishment. And then it's really easy or it's a lot easier. I find to ride that high of accomplishment when it's like, okay, I've, I've done this one thing. Fantastic. And you feel really good about that. And then you can mm-hmm. pick another thing and then, all right, now that I've built up that kind of success bank, um, it makes it mm-hmm. a lot easier to chase after other things. Whereas if you set that bar, you know, really, really high, and then something interferes with it that you maybe can't control. Now you feel like you've failed at something. It's really hard to keep going for more when it feels like things are not going your way. So having those success or those little mini goals is a really good strategy because 
um, you can feel like you've accomplished something. You can feel like you have control over something. So that's, mm-hmm. I love that. That's, that's awesome. Um, I'm yeah. And even, Oh, go sorry, ahead. Even they don't have to be necessarily like physical or athletic mm-hmm. goals. Um, I think for athletes or, you know, matter whatever you do, having like mental goals is really important. So, um, if you're an athlete, you know, each day I'm going to spend, uh, three to five minutes, you know, visualizing what I do athletically. Or today I'm going to watch tapes of people who inspire me. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like things like that, that you can set goals mentally for yourself or this week I'm going to journal. Whatever it is, you know, those things are really important along with the physical aspects of being an athlete, mentally staying strong and checking in on yourself and just having those small goals as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think people maybe downplay sometimes the importance of mental and emotional health and how much that actually impacts your physical health as well. So you can Mm -hmm. be, you can be, you know, training and eating really well. And I mean, you're no stranger to that, but if you're not taking care of your mental well-being and your emotional well-being, you can be really spinning your wheels in terms of the physical aspect and not getting as much out of that because you're not taking care of some of those other areas of your life too. So that's, that's really good to have um, goals that meet all of those needs, not just physically, but, you know, mentally and emotionally as well, because they, they do play a role, a bigger role than I think a lot of people realize. Yes. I think the mental aspect of sports and your career, your life, your job, whatever it is, is the biggest aspect because, if you're not feeling all there mentally that day, uh, how are you supposed to tell your body physically what to do? And that's something I've, you know, recently, um, the past couple of years, I've started doing yoga, not necessarily for my body, but for mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, so being in uncomfortable positions and my, my mind's telling me, quit, quit, quit. And I say, no, just stay calm, you know, focus on the breath. Uh, so I've used yoga as something to help my mentality and my mental strength. That's really cool. I like that. We, um, we do with, uh, with powerlifting, we do a lot of really very, very physical stuff. And I think Mm -hmm. that, um, having an alternate, very different type of either sport or activity or some kind of uh, hobby that you do for mental wellness to kind of balance that off is yes. super, super beneficial for sport development. And like you said, that that mental prep to be like, okay, when I'm when I'm stuck in a position that it's uncomfortable or when I'm, you know, feeling like something is really hard, you know, taking, taking some strategies from yoga to push mm-hmm. through to endure. That's, um, that's a really cool, that's a really cool strategy. How long have you been doing yoga for? Um, I've been doing it for two years now. Uh, I just kind of started to get in. I was like, Oh, this might help. Cause I, I've been dealing with a lot of injuries over the last couple of years. So I was like, oh, this will be something I can add in to help, you know, my body recover, stretch, um, balance. And then I realized, you know, this is helping me mentally way more than it's actually benefiting me physically. There is a physical aspect to it where it's benefiting, but I just felt stronger mentally. Um, I really learned how to breathe. I didn't realize I didn't know how to breathe. And you think as a professional athlete, I would know how to breathe and control my breath, but it really taught me how to uh, deep breathe, um, to use my breath to relax myself. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's such an important thing in any sport, you know, I know, especially powerlifting, you know, I do some weightlifting training, um, in the weight room. And that's one of the things, you know, you see that weight and you're like, oh boy, can I do this? And it becomes, it doesn't become physical. It all of a sudden becomes mental. Yeah. But if you're able to mentally calm yourself, um, to breathe deep, to get prepared, uh, I think it's going to just come physically to lift that weight. You know, I think that's within sports too. If you can mentally calm yourself and what we call it, I mean, you've heard it being in the zone. Yeah. And essentially what that is, is being focused solely on what you're doing mentally and athletically in that moment. And being in the zone for athletes is so important. And that's where you see some of the greatest athletic achievements of all time is when athletes are actually in their zone. Yeah, I, I, it's funny that you say that because when I was um, doing kind of a little bit of research for this interview, I watched a bunch of your races and um, I watched the uh, one, I watched one of the 400 meter relays that you did. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I don't know if you're this type of person, but I'm this I'm that person that watches those sports movies and like gets overwhelmingly emotional when they're like, (laughs) when they're like in the championships and Uh you're like, I, you know, the outcome because a lot of times it's based on like real life stuff. And so you're like, you're going to win or you know that this is going to happen. But I get like super overwhelmingly emotional about those like critical moments where you're just watching it happen. And so I remember um, watching one of your uh, races and I'm sorry, but I can't tell you which one it was, but, um, oh, no watching you come forward in like that last, like it was cause you were, uh, what is it called when you're the final person in the relay? The anchor. The anchor. Yeah, okay. the anchor. So, and I was uh-huh. watching that like last little leg where you can see the finish line and you just like zoom forward. And it's like, you just get this extra <laughs> burst of speed that I don't know where it comes from because uh, it's crazy. That's when you should be the most tired. And I feel yeah. like that's where you thrive is in that last little bit where you can see it and you mm-hmm. can see it where you need to get ahead of, if there's somebody in front of you, where you need to get ahead of them. And it's just like this like force that moves you forward just that little bit extra. And it was, mm-hmm. it was cool to watch that. Does that, is that one of those moments where you kind of notice that, that in the zone kind of stuff, because yes. it seems to be very, um, it seems to be something that when I watched a couple of your races, that's that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always, you know, I always try to dig, dig a little deeper each part of the race. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of my goals just to see what, what I have. And you know, some days you have it and some days you don't, but the last 100 meters of every race, um, you know, I, I run really hard the first 300 meters, not like I'm not running hard yeah. there, but so that last 100 meters, like I was saying, you either kind of, you just dig deep and some days you have it and some days you don't, it just depends. But, uh, that's where I really get my extra motivation when I can see the finish line, you know, I can maybe see my competitors in front of me and it's just that push, like, let's see how far you can go today. Yeah. It's cool because like I said, I watched a couple of those races and I don't know, I just get this, like this, this feeling and you're like, Oh, okay. Can she, is she going to go for it? Like, is she going to go for it? And you can, you can see it very visibly where you almost, it's almost like a a switch flips and you're like, Nope, it's go time now. And even Mm -hmm. though, yeah, like you said, you're, it's not like you're, it's not like you're dogging it the first 300 meters, but you can (laughs) see very visibly when you race where that switch flips and you're like, all right, 
I'm going to find whatever is necessary to go harder. And that's such an inspiring thing to watch. And, um, and I was, I just, I found that super, super amazing to just see because you could, it was very obvious when you watched you run where you, where you turn that like mental game on absolutely the highest level possible and, and something else is pushing you forward. It's just, it's really cool. I, I really enjoyed like watching some of those races and seeing that <laughs> because I think that's what makes, that's what makes a difference between the athletes that are good and the athletes that are just above and beyond is that ability to be able to dig deeper mentally in those moments and, um, mm -hmm. and find something that is kind of beyond yourself. It's, that sounds very mm -hmm. wishy-washy. No, I completely agree. But yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the difference between good athletes and amazing athletes is that, is that self-awareness to be able to, um, to find something that it, it doesn't seem like it's there, but you mm -hmm. find it anyways. So mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think that's one of the things that makes athletics so exciting and it's really what draws people towards it. It's, you know, you just never know. You never know how far somebody can go. You just, there's like a different aspect behind the scientific. Like there's, they will run this, this fast if they do this pace and these things. But then there's something deeper. The mentality of athletics is, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you just go that extra little bit further that day because you have that mental boost or some, I've actually had some races um, and I really felt it at the Olympics in Rio. We had the four by four. And we were fighting for a bronze medal. We ended up coming fourth place, which was very heartbreaking. Uh, but I remember the last 100 meters of that race. Um, I literally didn't feel anything in my body. I was just running as hard as I could. And it was kind of this out of the world experience. I didn't feel tired. I was just running as fast as I could. So there's definitely an aspect there where my body was like doing the things I was doing, but mentally I was just like, go, go, go. And I just didn't feel any pain until after the race, of course. <laughs> yeah. Then you're like, it hits you like a truck. Um, yeah. I did martial arts for most of my life. And um, one of the things that I've always found really interesting now, I worked with a coach. I remember he would, he would be able to tell you every detail of a fight he ever did. Like he just, it was weird. It was like he was watching from above and he could just like pick out those details. And I was always that person that, it's like I, it's like I wasn't in my own body in the times that I'm mm -hmm. fighting, in the times that I was fighting because I would, you know, I might take a hit, but I would feel it days later. Like I wouldn't feel mm -hmm. it at the moment. Like I recognized that it happened and it was like a mental note, like, okay, that's kind of a point for them. I have to check, like, I have to check off this box. I need to do this. I need to do this. Like I could, I could do that stuff, but it was like, I didn't feel that. Or when I'd look back, I would I would look back on a fight and even though things were happening in the moments, it's like, I didn't remember them. It got really blurry. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 You ever noticed like, just that? Be, no. Yeah. That's what the thing is like being in the zone, you know, you're so honed in and focused on what you're doing that these little things that should or would normally affect you just, they disappear. Yeah. It's like, it's like your body, you've trained your body for so long and so many, you know, repetitions and, and, and you've trained so consistently that your body just inherently knows what it needs to do. Mm -hmm. And, and it, you can kind of let that go. And I think that 
when people start to get to those higher levels in athletics, I think that's, that's where that transition starts to happen is when you're no longer thinking about what your body is doing anymore. It just does it. It just, it knows yes. that muscle memory. And then now it becomes so much more about that mental game and how you're mm-hmm. able to control your thoughts and your emotions and that like that internal motivation to drive harder than you think that your body is capable of. Because I know for, for me and for a lot of like my clients that I work with, it's not that their body is physically limited. It's that they put these limitations in their head that their body can't do something. And I'm like, shush, quiet down. Like it's, it's not your body. Your body is so, is capable of so much more than you ever realize it's capable of. It's just getting your mindset in that, in that zone to understand that your body is capable if you just trust it and let the things that you've done for years and years, um, to practice and develop, if you just trust that process and let it go. And, and yeah, it's like, it's so much more of a mental game. Yes, exactly. A lot of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, okay. So speaking of a lot of mental game and, um, and kind of your, your thoughts on, um, just on life and and stuff like that. I I've did, uh, I've seen you on social media and I've, you know, listened to some of your past interviews and stuff like that. And, um, one of the things that I absolutely love about you as a female athlete and as a representation of other female athletes is how, much of a proponent you are for positive body image and and really staying authentic and true to yourself and you know being a role model for women and girls in the sporting community and just just in life right and um i remember seeing a post that you wrote, wrote recently on instagram where you kind of talked about your personal struggles that you faced with media and marketing and how mm-hmm. they represent female athletes and i'm i'm curious about um where that came from. Did you have a specific coach or a role model that influenced how you saw yourself as a female athlete? Or is that something you kind of discovered on your own, just, you know, as you kind of grew into your sport and into your athletics? Where did that, where did that come from? I think it really came from my mom and dad, to be honest. Um, I know I, I kind of go back and say like, as a young girl, we all go through body issues as young girls in society because there's just these expectations. There's media, there's, there's music videos. This is what you should look like as an artist. And this is what you should look like. And I think when I was younger, I was like, Oh, I just hated my body. Cause I was just like this skinny little girl. Like I was just tall and skinny and I got made fun of in school and I remember like being upset about it and hating it. And my mom and dad were like, no, you're perfectly fine. Why do you, you know, they're always the ones who told me like, love yourself. You are who you are. There's no changing yourself. Everybody is made to be a certain way. And this is what you were made to be. And I never fully truly loved my body until I realized what I could do athletically with it. And I was like, wow, this body is what allows me to run fast. Uh, this body is, you know, what made me become an Olympian. And so that's what I really kind of want to share with women and young girls out there. You know, we all pick out our flaws. You're going to do that. But you need to look at what your body can't do, more so what it can do, what makes it so amazing. And that's one thing I really want to promote athletically in women's sports. But I want to really promote that with young girls, because I think right now, just with this 
social media age and everybody having perfect posts, you know, that are photoshopped and, you know, you have to look perfect each post and you have to, you know, show this perfect life, you know, that's not realistic. Um, <laughs> not everybody's body is supposed to look that way. Your body is made because you are unique. You are who you are and find what your body can do that makes it unique. And just, I really just want to promote self-love um, because my parents gave me that. They allowed and started to show me self-love, what that looks like. So I just really want to give that out to women in the world. You know, love yourself, love your body, you know, be proud of who you are. Yeah, that's, that's, um, I, I love that you brought up um, that you, you had those feelings of, you know, like your body wasn't good enough or that you didn't like how it looked. I, mm -hmm. I can definitely relate to that from a bit of a different perspective with my sport and what I do. I know that like in my family specifically, my, I have two younger sisters and they're both, um, very petite and mm -hmm. one of my sisters, it was kind of similar experience, I think, to what, uh, what you said with being, you know, you were tall and, and really thin. And I know that my sister struggled a lot with being kind of made fun of because she, she didn't have a lot of curve and that's considered mm -hmm. feminine. And, right. and so she felt like she was like, especially in high school when, you know, you feel like you're supposed to develop a certain way at a certain time. And then that just did not happen. And I remember <laughs> she really struggled with that because people would make fun of her or call her things mm -hmm. like anorexic and, mm -hmm. and, and that made her feel really bad about herself. And so, um, a lot of social media right now, especially like there's, um, I don't like to get super, super like political or, um, into a lot of like the social justice type stuff, but I know that right. there is a big swing towards, you know, health at any size and people who might, um, you know, have a little bit of extra body weight and things like that. And, you know, people, uh, being rude or making fun of them for, you know, not being at a certain, in a certain shape or size and things like that. And I think that that swings mm -hmm. really in the opposite direction as well is for a lot of petite females who feel like they're not represented and feel like they, it, it's almost like they're made to feel bad for feeling shame about their bodies too. And, and just, it's cool that you represent that that's normal. It shouldn't be, it's, it's terrible that it is, but it's normal to mm -hmm. feel um, feel upset about certain things and you are always going to find your flaws, no matter how, how you look and, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Honor those feelings, but understand that you are unique exactly how you are. And I, I just, I think that's really cool that you can represent, um, a side that I think doesn't get re represented a lot because there's a lot of people who, who really struggle with body weight and um, from the opposite perspective. And they might not mm -hmm. understand your perspective as well, being a female and feeling like you need to look a certain way too. Um, just yeah. Different from theirs, right? I think like, it goes across the board with all women, you know, and I, I mean, men too, we're all, we're kind of all in this, you know, you're told to look a certain way, um, you know, <laughs> and not everybody's going to look that way. And, I think health is at any size. Mm -hmm. um, I really do. I think that you just need to, you know, focus on being healthy, no matter what that is. Focus on your health. What you, can you can you do to be the healthy, healthiest and best version of yourself? Yeah. Um, at any size, you know, at any height, you know, whatever that may be, is just focusing on that. And that's something I really 
you know, want to share to women is, you know, as long as you're working on being healthy and, you know, living a healthy lifestyle mentally and physically, then you're doing your best you can and you shouldn't be ashamed of your body no matter what your size is. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, yeah, I think that's really cool because, um, we do see a lot of, we do see a lot of it, um, from one side of the equation, but I don't think we see sometimes the other side of the equation. And I think that that's true to point out that a lot of people, no matter what you look like, have, you know, have those feelings and, and we all are just working on, you know, trying to love ourselves better, no matter Mm -hmm. what that might look like. And, and taking those steps to, you know, let's, let's do those little things each and every day that are just going to make you feel good. And if at the end, you know, you feel better about yourself, that's going to translate into feeling better about how you look, no matter what you look like. And so there's a big uh, aspect of that just feeling better in general will lead to that feeling better about how you look and that, and I love that you really have taken it upon yourself to promote to young women because that's a really big um, area right now where they have access to so much media. They have access mm-hmm. to so much information and so many people. And I don't think there's enough people representing those positive images. And there's, there's so much, um, there's so much negativity that comes with social media because people can sit behind their screens and say horrible things to each other. And and it's hard because you can't really escape that, right? You've got these young girls who have, you know, their Instagram accounts and anybody can comment anything and people are just Mm -hmm. sometimes really terrible. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and they can't escape it because it's with them all the time. It's with their technology and, and we're so used to having technology. So it's, it's, it's more relevant than ever to have people who are, um, kind of focused on that, uh, on promoting that message that, you know, that gets more of that message out there and tries to kind of overwhelm some of the negativity that comes with it. I think that's really, really important. And we need to get more people doing that. Um, and, and that's, and that's one one thing that I kind of wanted to talk to you about next was, um, when I look back, on my journey in sport and health and fitness. And now as a role model, you know, I imagine myself as a role model that I needed back when I was younger because I didn't always feel good Mm -hmm. about my body and myself and, and athletically and comparing to other people. So I remember being a young girl and wanting a role model that I could look up to, um, in, that just made me feel better about myself. And Mm -hmm. I think about what did I need to hear when I was a young girl and what did I need to see in the media and what did I need to know at that time that wouldn't just make me a better athlete, but just a better person and a better version of myself. So my question is, what would your message be now to all the young women who see you as a role model that you needed to hear when you were, you know, younger or just starting your athletic career or when you were struggling, what was the, what's the one message that you would want to tell younger Sage and all the mm-hmm. other women just like her? If you could pick just one that's like, this is my, my flagship. Yeah, I think my biggest thing is to love yourself. Um, love who you are. And that can be 
very struggling for a young girl because you don't really know who you are yet in this world. Mm -hmm. um, but just find things that you love about yourself. Um, it doesn't need to be athletically. Like, I love that I'm good at art. Like, I love that I'm good at writing. I love that I'm good at soccer. I love this. And just finding those simple things that you love about yourself or I love that I'm a great sister. I love that I'm a great daughter. You know what, those things, because self-love eventually goes into you giving love out to the world. Um, and you need to really focus on loving yourself before that, before you can start finding your passions really in life and giving love out to the world. So that would be my biggest thing to young girls. You know, love yourself, you know, find out, and that will help you find out what you're passionate about and that what you want to work towards. Because when you find your passion and what you love to do, um, for example, I found running because that was something I just loved to do. Um, but I really had to learn to love myself before I got really great at running. And that's just one thing that I think that I would love to share to young girls and women out there. Thanks for touching on that, um, that topic that it's hard to find what you love about yourself when you don't really know yourself, because I think that's, mm -hmm. I think that's a really big struggle. And I think, um, just to maybe add on to your point, one of the things that I, um, that I've found growing up and getting a little bit older and just understanding that it's okay for the things that you love about yourself to change too, because yes. I think a lot of people really, they, they get stuck in this one thing. And, um, and I imagine that this is probably something that, uh, that you've dealt with as a, as a very specialized athlete that quite a bit of your, personality and how you view yourself and your self-worth can get tied up in what you do, whether it's mm -hmm. your job or your um, sport or whatever it might be. And that might change and that might evolve as you grow and get older and experience different things. Um, and I've seen, you know, in the past athletes who have their, their sport was so much who they were that when they stopped doing it, they they forgot how to love themselves outside of that and right. they forgot how to, they, it was so much of who they were that they didn't know who they were when they were kind of done with their sport. Um, this is kind of a weird sidebar question, but, um, did you find, did you struggle with that when you were dealing with your injuries and your, your yes. sporting career was up in the air a little bit? Yes, I, I hadn't had an injury actually until my second year of university. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do track. I um, had a stress fracture in my foot mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't do track. And I literally, it was the time in my life I said, oh my God, who am I without track and field? And I really had to, you know, at that point, I really had to dig deep into myself and find out, you know, what else am I passionate about? What else do I love to do? And, you know, I was in university at the time. So I started joining more groups and organizations at the university. And I, you know, through that, I developed other relationships with pe people. And I really found what I was passionate about outside of track. Um, so I think <laughs> it's good to have, you know, at that moment, I was like, oh, no, this is horrible. But you really learn so much about yourself. And one thing that my current coach says right now, um, and I think applies to everything in life is, you know, know your why, mm -hmm. you know, what's your reason why in life or what's your reason why in your career um and the why is knowing what you're doing it for 
Um, and when I decided to become a professional athlete, I really didn't know my reason why. And my coach kind of was like, you know, you need to know your reason why, because it can't just be about winning, you know, winning medals and doing all this stuff and making money. You have to have a reason why. Um, and my reason why is because I wanted to be an inspiration to uh, Canadian women, to young girls. You know, I want to be an inspirational athlete. Um, and I really want to use my career to help people. Uh, so that's what I found my reason why, you know, and if track and field does get taken away from me, which it will someday, I won't be able to <laughs> go around the track running over the 400 <laughs> hurdles. So I want to, that to be my purpose is to, you know, be a role model and to support women and young athletes out there um, and, you know, to help them find their why. That's exciting. And I, I love that you're forward thinking about that because it is a reality that, you know, as an athlete, there is a shelf life on your career and, mm -hmm. and a lot of people really don't know what to do with that. And they fear that. And I, I mean, I hope that you have an incredibly, incredibly long career in a sport that you really love. Um, but that realism that, you know what, at some point I'm going to have to use my athletic career a little bit differently and still be right. able to accomplish my goal in a way that's unique is, um, is very forward thinking. And I think that a lot of people avoid thinking about those things because of how much of who they are is wrapped up in that. And you've put, you've clearly put in the work to understand who you are both inside your sport and outside of it. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's going to, to really benefit you and, and your audience and the people that follow you, um, through your career and, and long afterwards. And I think that's, I think that's a, a very big message that more people need to hear that, um, that it's okay to, to think about what that future looks like, um, outside of the, your current sporting career and who you are as a human being outside of that, yes. because you're, you're, you're an amazing athlete, but you're more than just that. And, um, and you're valuable no matter what you do and what you're passionate about. And that's, and that's, um, and I think a lot of young girls and, and young women really need to hear that, especially, um, if they are feeling a little bit lost and they're not sure what, what they can bring value to or what their worth is to the world. And everybody has something that they, that they can bring and make the world a better place. And, um, yes. And it's okay to not know what that is, or it's mm -hmm. okay if that changes, or it's okay to not know what that might look like in the future. So that's, that's really cool. Um, okay, so uh, we're getting to the end of this, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time because you've been really generous with it. Um, no I do, I did skip over one question um, that I had earlier, and, uh, and I'm really curious about this one because I'm a big travel bug person. I know you uh, love to travel and you get to do it a lot mm -hmm. with your sport. So um, I wanted to ask, what was your favorite place you traveled to? Uh, my favorite place I've actually traveled to, um, there's a few, but I really love Japan. Yeah. Um, I went there in 2018 was my first trip to Japan. Mm -hmm. um, I went to Osaka, Japan, and I just love Japanese culture. Um, they are very appreciative for everything. Um, they're so polite. You think Canadians are polite. They are on another level of politeness over there. And one thing that I really respect from their culture is that they respect each job and each level of, um, versus if you're a manager, are you the CEO, are you just a worker? They all treat each other equally. 
um, and they don't see one better as the other. And that's, you can really see that come across in their culture. And you really feel that there. And I just felt this positive energy when I was there. I also love sushi. So <laughs> that was another big factor. But Japan's one of the coolest places. I got to go back last year. Um, I don't think I'll be able to go back this year unless something changes. But I'm really looking forward to having the Olympic Games there next year. Yeah, that'll be really cool. With um, This was the first year that karate was supposed to be in the Olympic Games. Yes. It was an ex- uh, exhibition sport and Mm -hmm. so I know a lot of the people in my sporting community that was like okay this is our chance and the fact that it was held in Japan and there's so much culture and and stuff with with the sport that I've grown to love and grown up with that it was really um I was like oh wouldn't it be wouldn't it be cool just to go and see the Olympics there in Japan and have them do that sport that that's originated there and that's yeah that's top so of my cool. list to go and visit it's it look I want to go when they have like the cherry blossoms yeah that, that's very popular in this that's I think that's coming up right away here <laughs> yeah, it would, but, be, yeah. It would be so cool that was one yeah, of the my, other great thing is they have bullet trains all across the country so you can get from one side of the country to the other side in a day, yeah. um, which is so cool. Um, I wish here in Canada we had bullet trains so we could oh, right. get, you know, from Medicine Hat to Calgary to Calgary. We're like to Calgary to Edmonton, right? Yeah. <laughs> it seems like, anything, like there's so much be better great. opportunities for us to be able to do that. I just think yeah. that would be cool in Canada in general. I know, obviously, that would be a, a huge expense because we're so spread out, um, right. but like, I, I love traveling to different places, but at the same time, I also am like, man, I don't think I appreciate enough my own country that I live in and being able mm-hmm. to see different parts of the country that I live in. Like I would love to go to, um, Quebec during like their winter festival and stuff like that. And I would love to go to the East coast and I've never been there. And I'm like, it would be so nice to have, the ability to literally cross your country yes. in a day and be able to experience other parts of our country because I think that we travel outwards a lot, but mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't appreciate as much as I should traveling within the country and seeing something that we have here that is as just as good as any other country, but we, we take it for granted because we live here. Yes, we truly do. I think Canada, there's so many places to explore and like I feel so blessed to be from Canada because Every person you meet, they're like, oh, I want to go to Canada. Like, all, like, I've traveled a lot of places in the world. Everybody wants to come to Canada. And I'm like, what do you want to see? And they just have all these different places. And I'm like, you know, I, you know, I'm, some of them I've been to. And I'm like, yeah, they are really great. And it just kind of makes you realize where we come from is a special place. And I hope that in the future, something like that comes along where we can travel quicker, more efficiently. Um, Flights in Canada are extremely expensive, <laughs> so right? that's why everybody leaves. Yeah, that's why everybody leaves Canada. I mean, coming to Canada and traveling within Canada are some of my most expensive flights that I actually fly on, which is crazy. But um, I hopefully, you know, that changes in the future and more Canadians can start exploring Canada. A yeah, bit we more. live in a we live in a really good place to being central. A lot of people, mm-hmm. I think it's so funny because they're like, Alberta, where is that? <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> like in the middle, like above Montana, <laughs> like when you're talking to somebody from the U S and yes. like Alberta, is that like, is that like Toronto? And I'm like, no, yeah, no, it's, it's not, <laughs> but close sort of yeah. except it's across the country. <laughs> it's super. Yeah, I always get the question. Is that closer to Vancouver or Toronto? I'm like, 
it's closer to Vancouver, but it's not really anywhere near Vancouver. It's still not that close when you like think about yeah. driving and you're like, it's like a 15 hour drive. They're like, well, that's not close. And we're like, yeah, I know. It's, the country's kind of big, guys. Yes. I think that's one thing that people don't realize is how big Canada is and how long it takes to drive everywhere. And it's so crazy because when you're in Europe, you drive for two to three hours and you're in another country. Right. Um, <laughs> and you're Canada, like, you I drive three hours to get to Calgary, the closest place with a really yes. small. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's pretty funny when you can, when you kind of explain that to people who are from uh, different countries who are a lot smaller and they're like, you drive three hours and you're not like at the border. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, well, technically if we go one way, we're at the border, but mm -hmm. everywhere else you can drive for days and still not hit the edge of the country. <laughs> like, yes. It's crazy. crazy. But, um, okay. So my last couple of questions are really quick. Um, so there, I want to end off all of my podcasts with, um, with yourself and with all my future guests. Um, I'm really big on self-improvement and I like to like, think about leveling up my life, like a, a video. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I <laughs> like awesome. to do that with, you know, seminars and I do coaching courses. Cause obviously I'm in the fitness industry. I listen to a ton mm -hmm. of podcasts. I love that. Um, and I love reading. I'm like a, a super big book nerd. So does not have to be a self-improvement book, but what was your favorite mm -hmm. book you've read lately? Or maybe listen to if you're an audiobook person. Um, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Mm -hmm. um very interesting um I love it um oh there's I I like to listen to audiobooks um when I'm driving back and forth um to practice and um one's called the mindful athlete mm -hmm. um I forget who the author is of that one but he really goes into being mindful as an athlete um and doing that through learning how to do meditation which I found you know, I, I started to do meditation when I started to do yoga. So I found that very helpful. So those are my two um, athletic kind of related books um, that I've found, you know, very inspirational, but I, I'm the same. I, any little thing I can grasp or grab. Um, I love, I love. <laughs> what would be your indulgent read? Like the thing that you don't really want anybody to know that you're reading, but you love it. And it's secretly maybe super nerdy or really weird. <laughs> I like, I actually love a good love story. Um, mm -hmm. I'm kind of this, like, I love love. You know, it doesn't have to be a love story between a man and woman. It just has to be like, I read um, where the crawdogs, crawdads sing. Okay. Um, and it's about this little girl who falls in love with the marsh in North Carolina. And I just found that super inspirational, like her love for the environment. And it's a really good book. <laughs> I just, I loved it. I didn't want it to end, but you know, I just love books that have love. If that sounds cheesy, but no, that's, not that's at all. I, like. I went to a business conference in South Carolina, uh, in November. And, um, my favorite thing when I was like, cause anytime that I go and travel for work stuff, I try and kind of tag on like a day or two as like a mini vacation because I don't get to take mm -hmm. super often. So I always right. make my work stuff like a little, there's a little vacation with it. Um, and so I planned on, it didn't turn out this way because my flights went absolute crazy and, and 
it was a very, it was a disaster, but um, I was looking up ahead of time. And it, as it turns out in Charleston, where I was going, that was where they filmed a whole bunch of the scenes from the notebook. And I yes. almost lost mm-hmm. my mind when I realized <laughs> that that's where they filmed it. So like the movie theater that they go to, I got to like, mm-hmm. like down this main road where they- Yeah, I've, I was in Charleston this summer too. Oh my gosh, it's so it's beautiful. beautiful. And I was mm-hmm. so upset because I didn't get a chance. I wanted to go to like the plantation that mm-hmm. Allie's parents live on and they did, they were closed for a private event. So I couldn't go. And I was like, but I just want to see all of the scenes from the notebook and yeah. pretend I live in that, like, <laughs> that book and that movie. <laughs> so I can totally. Yeah. The Carol, the Carolinas are so beautiful and there's oh so much history and I, I'm the same, like, if I know um, a movie's been made, some like, when I go to New York City, I love, like, oh, this was in this movie, this was in yep. this movie. It's just kind of a cool thing to see it in real life after yep. seeing it on your TV screen. Oh, yeah, I'm totally, like, a movie person, and I can, like, picture myself in that, like, era that they were in, and I try and mm-hmm. like, imagine what that would have been like, and I, I don't know, I just, I'm a big, I'm a big book and movie person, and I love, like, the stories and the characters, so when you're there, you can just, like, take the, and I love, like, especially in um, South Carolina, like, all the old buildings and stuff, and the mm-hmm. history of them, like, I'm like, I could sit and stare at an old brick building for way too long, and, <laughs> and really appreciate it, and I'm like, yeah, it's beautiful. If you could just be a fly in the wall, and, like, I don't know, super speed through all the things that maybe yeah. in that space. I just, I think that would be so cool. Um, okay. Very last one, Sage. And, uh, and this one, I, I'm a, I, I ask this to my clients every single day. It's something that I've been doing on my social media over the past couple of weeks, just to kind of keep positive energy while people are feeling maybe a little bit down or a little bit unsure where they're at. And that is, mm-hmm. what is the one thing you are grateful for today? The one thing I'm extremely grateful for is my family. You know, I'm so grateful that I can be with them during this time. Um, and we're actually getting some like great family quality time in. So I'm really just grateful for my family right now. Yeah, they sound like they they sound like they're lots of fun. I saw your um that that TikTok video that you did with your your younger brother. Um, yeah, the light yeah. switch one. I forget what it's called. Uh-huh. I'm just like brand new to. I just opened TikTok for the first time and was like, what is this thing people keep talking about? And mm-hmm. um, I wasted more hours than I would like to admit watching some of those like dance, uh, like challenge videos. Yes. And oh my gosh, I laughed so hard when I saw that one um, you did with him. I thought that was super cute. And, and you can see like that you guys, you guys as a family uh, have clearly a very strong connection and good family bond. And I think, I think that's really Mm -hmm. cool. Um, I I've experienced that with my own family. We have a, we have, I have a really great family connection with my sisters and my parents. And we, we've been taking this time, even though we don't live in the same city, we've been, um, Mm -hmm. using like zoom meetings to play board games online. And so we (laughs) we were in three different cities and we were playing, um, we were playing Jackbox the other night online. And I just, I think that in a time where, everybody feels um, a little disconnected. This is such a great Mm -hmm. opportunity to reconnect with the people that we maybe have taken for granted being around. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's so true. 
come home and spend time with your, with your family and hang out and, um, homeschool your little brother. And <laughs> yeah, we've been having some fun with school. <laughs> I bet. I bet. It's probably great though for him that he has somebody who's, who's done it more recently than maybe parents who are looking at some of this schoolwork and going like, I don't know how to do any of this. When did yeah. that change? Like what is right. it? We, we really got into it the other day. He was doing social studies and they were just talking, they were talking about economics and um, I took a, quite a few economic courses in university and I kind of went too deep into it. I started doing like supply, demand charts and graphs and, um, and he was like, Sage, like, I don't need to know this stuff. I'm like, but you will need to know it. <laughs> but you will one day. So you'll just be really yeah. scared for right now. <laughs> yeah. But we were having fun. It was just fun to talk and, you know, I'm looking back at some of his stuff and I'm like, oh Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning too right now. Yeah, that's cool. That's really awesome. And it's nice that for him to be able to have somebody that um, can help him with that stuff, because I think that a lot of uh, families are having a hard time figuring out like, okay, what's our schedule look like? So having an older sibling yes. like, to be able to help out and, and do that stuff, that's probably really awesome for him because, you know, he probably doesn't get a chance to really spend time doing those little things with you as often anymore. So that's probably really nice. No, yeah. Yeah. We've been having, um, you know, as my dad said it the other day, he's like, you know, this pandemic is horrible, but I'm really loving it so far as a family, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just getting to spend oh, yeah. this time. And I think, you know, as horrible as what's going on in the world is, we're just finding appreciation and love for the small things like reconnecting with family. Um, and I think that, you know, we're going to come out of this better as a world and as a society because we're really reconnecting and finding love within one another. So, you know, yeah, as much negativity as there is, there's positivity too. Yeah. And just like not taking for granted some of the things that we do on a regular basis where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, just going out and being able to get something from the grocery store without, right. without two thoughts about it or, um, for me, like one of the big things is being away from the gym and being away from the people that I work with on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. There are so many people who take their health for granted. And I think that a lot of people after this are going to be like, man, like I didn't go to the gym maybe as much as I wanted to before, but now that I, you know, realized that I couldn't, I realized how much better it made me feel and might just prioritize it a little bit more or prioritize the things that are a little more important. I think everybody's going to just want to be out to social after this you know I mean it might be a little while before that happens but I think people are just going to appreciate social interaction yeah if that is just working out beside somebody you don't know at the gym or saying hi to you know people in the grocery store when it's like finally relaxed and we're having a conversation right instead Mm -hmm. of being in the same room with people and everybody's on their phones Right. I think yes. a lot more people will be like, or just like I, um, we have a, one of our, our guys who works for us, he's like a big time hugger. And I am like a, give me my bubble. I need uh-huh. this. And <laughs> I think a lot of people, those people who are big time huggers are suffering right now and they yes. just need to hug somebody. So I think some people are going to really start to appreciate some of that, um, that physical and, uh, that like true connection that we've kind of been, I think, missing for a while now with how much technology we have and, and I have taken it for granted. So I'm, I'm excited for, for that aspect to come out of this. Like you said, a better world. I really do. I think Mm -hmm. that this is going to be one of those things that really changes how we act as a society and, and what we really appreciate. So that's cool. Um, all right. I completely agree. Sage, thank you so much for being on the She Wolf Den podcast. Um, 
for those who want to continue to follow your journey and see you smash it at the 2020 slash 2021 Olympics <laughs> in Tokyo, where is the best way that they can find you and connect with you and see all of the amazing stuff that you're promoting and the messages that you're sending? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. My username is just at Sage Watson. Um, I'm on Twitter, Sage Watts. Um, you can find me. I have a Facebook page where, you know, I post, um, try to keep up to date with my races and what's going on. But the best thing, if you want to see my daily, you know, training and what I'm doing, my Instagram is where I um, try to stay. And I'm also on TikTok now. So <laughs> having fun. Of course, I don't show a lot of, you know, the regular stuff like I do on Instagram, but TikTok's just for fun right now. Oh, totally. Yeah. Why not have some fun with it and, and just show people kind of more of the relaxed, uh, silly, you know, yes. let's just, let's just do something just cause we feel like it, get energetic and maybe dance and be a little, be a little silly sometimes. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sage. And I look forward to maybe chatting with you again in the future. I'd love to have you back here. Um, you know, uh, anytime that you'd like to come and chat, we would be happy to have you back. And thank you so much again for chatting with me. Thank you for having me. All right. If you love that episode of the She Wolf Den podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you will get notified the second we drop new episodes. And if you would be so kind as to leave a rating and review on wherever you listen to podcasts, that really helps us out with reaching more people so that the, the guests that we interview and the messages that we're sending are getting to as many people as possible and hopefully um, spreading some uh, joy and information and inspiration around the world. Thanks so much, you guys.